Welcome back to another episode of Season 5 of the RAG Podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season, we're a little bit different. How do you, as a recruitment leader and founder, maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work? How do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally? And how do you find time for yourself in the madness? How do you find time for self-interest, for hobbies and self-improvement? Well, to help you with this, I'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas. So I'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the RAG Podcast. Today I am I'm very excited. I'm always excited. This is the first thing I say every week, but I am I'm buzzing to be joined by an old friend, someone who I've had on the show before. Um, I'm joined by Joshua Rayner, the founder of Rayner Personnel, a property-based recruitment firm headquartered originally in St. Albans. Um, sorry, Bishop Stortford near St. Albans, um, but now a totally remote business. I interviewed Josh in February 2019, just as the office um Sorry, just as I was about to leave my original first ever office, when we had a studio in the office, Josh drove in on a really ridiculously warm 19 degree February day. Um, and he sat in our studio and we did it face to face. And it was great fun. And that was the last time I saw Josh. And I think the last time I spoke to him. Um, and I wanted to catch up with him because I know his model has changed. In this episode, he talks about how he evolved the model into COVID and through COVID. And he's gone from having 13 franchisees working for him all over the country to having 20 licensees now recruiting as self-employed members of staff. Um, Josh thinks very differently. He's got a very different model to 90% of recruitment firms. And I, I think he's very self-aware. He knows he's not a great leader of people. He's very open to that. So he's got an MD that does that. But he's also trying to disrupt the industry and create a different type of recruitment business that he can scale and exit in the next five years. He's also the author of a book. He recently wrote a book called The Recruitment Roller Coaster, um, avoiding the tight turns and steep slopes of starting your own recruitment firm. Very similar to the rag, but in a written format is to give you all of the tips, hints, highs and lows of what it's been like for him. Um, and all the proceeds um, from the book go to charity for mind mental health rather than um, lying in his back pocket. Um, Josh is a great guy, very humble, very honest, and I'm, I'm super excited to have him back on the show. So without further ado, Josh, welcome to the RAG podcast for the second time. Sean, it's great to be back. Thank you again for having me, my friend. It's been a while. Yeah, we've just been chatting about it. What was it? February 2019. So what is that? Is that three and a bit years? Three and a bit years. It is, yeah. Yeah. We're in and, and a global pandemic in the middle of it. Oh, mate, it was literally... I'll just say, like, if I set the scene to... I, 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 that was the last... We moved out of that office with the dedicated studio in, in Bow in East London in the March. So it was like the final month. And 
remember you were one like everyone else who couldn't find it. Do you remember you took a while to get there and you're like, where the yeah. fuck is this office? It was in the middle of like a builder's yard in, in East. And you got my hand bit off by a big Doberman as well. I remember yeah, in the car yeah, yeah. some scary dogs banging about, you know, it's good, like edgy start to your, your career. But I remember the day was roasting. It was February and it was like 18, 19 degrees. I actually listened back to the episode last week just to refresh my memory. And, uh, it does feel like a whole different world. Like the, everything in my life changed. I don't know, but I want to find out why. Before we get into what's happened in your life, just recap who you are. So some people might not have listened to the first one, don't recognize your name. Who yeah. are you? And give me the kind of bird's eye view of Rainer personnel right now. Yeah, of course. Um, so Josh Rayner, 16 years in recruitment this year. Um, I've had three different businesses, sold two successfully. Uh, and Rainer personnel in August is 10 years old, I'm sure. Wow. So, um, it's, uh, it's a business that has gone through um, some changes. Uh, I think the pandemic, like most businesses, allowed you to really look at the business, streamline uh, particular systems and processes, whether it's offices, whether it's tech, um, to become a, a leaner, um, fresher business model. So, yeah, 16 years in the industry, we, we focused uh, around the property industry. Um, that's really been my niche. Um, but I've had different businesses just outside the industry that mm. all relate. Um, so, yeah, that's my journey so far. Wicked. So when we met last time, like we, I think you were one of the first people that when I actually set Hoxo up, you reached out and was like, seems like a cool idea. What do you do? And we've never actually worked together, but we always chatted and got on. And I think we've seen our businesses change and evolve. Where were you at when we spoke last time? Like, cause you, you had an interesting model that we spoke about. It was like, you were like franchising things out. Tell us a bit about what you were doing at that point. Yeah, definitely. So I think like most businesses, we started traditionally, um, but we ran for about three or four years and I had a bit of a rolling door issue, not because the training wasn't there or the support or the brand, but naturally we had hungry recruiters that wanted to own their own business. Um, and, and we wasn't a million miles away from London and obviously the paths are paved with gold and we were losing really good top billers um, to, to London recruiting businesses. Um, so we morphed into a franchise business. Um, so some of our top billers become franchisees, but we allowed us to go out to um, our client base a lot of people that we were um, transacting with just been laid off um, because there was a bit of a crash in the property market and they had some redundancies, uh, redundancy money um, and they fancied the career change. So it allowed us to go nationally um, pretty quickly. Um, so when I spoke to you in Feb of 19, uh, we had, I think, about 13 franchisees up and down the country, geographical patches, which is totally different in recruitment. Recruitment is normally everyone's mm. employed on a desk in an office bang, 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 calls uh, all day long, whereas this was a totally different model. And to, uh, to a degree, we had some really, really good early success. But later on, later on down that kind of journey, uh, it became clear that the model was broken. What was wrong with it? Um, I think what we did is gave away two bigger areas for, for people to cope. Um, the people we attracted as well, um, in hindsight, weren't the right people. And they were experienced estate agents, regional directors, that have been used to sit in a senior managerial suite um, sort of position yeah. and didn't really want to get back on the tools again. Um, so the idea was for them to grow a business under them, uh, but because recruitment, as we know, is quite lucrative, they were playing golf Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I've become more of an arms room uh, sort of phone solution rather than actually a leader. Um, so it was like the, the towers wagging the dog rather than the way around. Um, so did anyone, did any of these people actually build teams and, and prove it? Maybe not work long term, but did they get did they did they get get the model of recruitment quite quickly and then 
were able yeah, to... Yeah, there's one or, one or two, one in particular, he turned over a million quid in his first year, built a team, employed people, built it as a proper standalone business. Mm. Um, and that was really successful. And there's probably two or three that got there close with two or three heads, but nothing um, substantial to make it a real sort of standalone um, yeah. entity. So I think that was that was my issue. And as we know, when you're in a franchise, it's a five-year agreement and it's very expensive to exit both for the franchisor and for the franchisee. Um, like a like a uh, relationship with a, uh, a husband and wife, or a husband and a husband, or a wife and a wife, it's really expensive to come out of and yeah. go through a divorce. So a lot of people just sort of bite your, bite your lip and you, you move on with it. Um, but COVID allowed us to, to look at our model and change things up to change things up a little bit. So your life at the time was interesting because you were driving from near Reddingway, Berkshire, all the way over to Bishop Stortford. I remember you turned up in your car and you would, I think you were genuinely saying to me that day, like, I'm knackered, like, you know, I'm nonstop. I'm always driving. Like, I do a lot of yeah. calls on the road. You know, what, how long is that journey from Bishop's Talk? Uh, it's 100 miles, 100 miles there and 100 miles back every day. So £1,000 a month on diesel, um, literally in the house at half past five, not returning till half past seven, eight o'clock, depending on the, uh, the car park that is the M25. Uh, and like I said, I, I was on burnout. I was literally driving four hours a day, every day, um, my my car was my office. You put on loads of weight. It doesn't help your mental health. Um, and yeah, I was just a car crash, literally waiting to happen. I think. Um, so you were yeah. you were getting up straight in the car, two hours, getting there at half seven, eight, leaving what about five o'clock or, or quarter past five? Six, yeah, five six o'clock. Yeah. To get back. And why? Why didn't you? Was it was there too many people in Bishop Stortford to have an office where yeah, you live? So, yeah, exactly. So um, Bishop Stortford is where um, the family originally uh, come from, um, and that's uh, initially where a lot of our recruiters um, were based there. That became came to that office. Came came to that office yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the sort of hub, really. So I wanted to move it, but I didn't want to lose good people. So I decided to make the journey. It's my my mistake for moving away. Not mistake, but I chose to move away. Um, so I decided to, to make that commute. Um, and I think I love the thrill of being the boss, going to a branded office. Actually, in hindsight, now after COVID, it was definitely vanity over sanity. Um, yeah. And you didn't need a 60 grand office that was made of personnel, branded up and make loads of coffee and all the rest of it. And the, the sort of a swanky coffee machine and water machine and photocopiers and all the rest of it. Um, it, it was a great place to, to network, and, but you just don't need that, I don't think, in this day and age. So, interesting. I mean, there was a post on LinkedIn, I don't know if you saw it yesterday. There's been a I forget the name, the guy's name. He's like an entrepreneur who sold his business and he's he's done he did an office supplies business and stuff, but he's basically basically said anyone who's working from home has got no ambition and you're gonna fail. And it was like it's the most blunt post I've read. And I read the, some of the comments and people are like, You're an idiot, basically. And it's just a and I, I look, I get unpopular opinion. I respect people for unpopular opinions because you know I, I I do I do think everyone's got their own side to every coin and things, you know. The, oh, we don't need to agree with everyone, but his was very fucking direct. And I was like, I, I I think there's some truth in the fact that being completely remote, you do miss things and lose things, but it's not about ambition. It's about it's about trying to. Do the same thing a different way, isn't it? It's trying to like, like you, you're you clearly already had a creative mind the way you went down the franchisee model. So yeah. you were always trying to skin the cat a different way and and you know beat the system in your own style. And I I think that's what this challenge with with working remotely has been like. It's, it's been how do I do the same out? I don't get the same output out of myself and others in a different way. 
And and some people struggle and they can't fucking do it, and other people can. And I think it's it's a journey, right? But go back to paint the picture of twelve months after we met then. So where was the business going into February? Because I think February twenty twenty was an interesting month. If you remember, the market was good. Like people, yes. like we had a, everyone was having record months then, and. I'd just been to Dubai and, and heard about COVID and didn't think it was going to... I mean, literally, my last episode of the podcast before COVID is a joke. Like, if I listen back, I sound like an idiot talking about this, this two-week gap. And I'm like, did I really say that? Like, oh, my God. I completely underestimated it, right? Where were you at in February 2020? Uh, we, like like many, we was having epic months. It, the business was strong. The brand was really strong. Came to see you. Wanted to shout about our franchise model. Everything was going so really well. And I think it was only sort of six months after when the real, the real sort of cracks started to appear. So probably around June, July sort of time, I sat down. In 2019, yeah? Before yeah. the punk. Yeah, so Before later that year. Yeah. Later that year, um, I sort of said to the sad one down and said, Look, guys, this isn't working for me anymore. Love you to, to bits. You've all helped us grow our business. You've all earned some really good revenue from it. Um, but literally, if you're not going to build a team, um, I can't afford to have you anymore because... Mm. Uh, as a sort of a head farmer, if you like, of the whole of the UK, we sold off farms, and you're not harvesting enough crop um, mm-hmm. to make it work worthwhile for for me to to make this business work. Um, so um, obviously, as you can imagine, that was an interesting board meeting, uh, which led to a couple of people leaving, and some mediation before court proceedings, and so on. Um, but in the main, it was well received. Um, after that meeting, several of them actually said, "Right, I totally agree, Josh. We're going to really build a business and continue to do that." Um, and, and some obviously decided that it wasn't for them and they wanted to be terrorists in the camp, which was absolutely fine. Um, and obviously we had to extinguish them, them people from the business. So that's really when things got a little bit um, kind of interesting, I'd say, uh, where we had to say goodbye to some people and other people had a bit of a rock out of them to make it work. Um, but what I sort of knew was the model long term was never going to work because it was just too big of patches and people want a hyper local kind of experience and customer care. And you can't do that servicing two and a half thousand businesses in each patch. You just can't get around to, no. to all of them on a daily, weekly basis to really add value. And that was really um, the core of what we were all about. So going into the pandemic, it allowed me to really pop the whole of brain personnel. It was a massive move, as you can imagine. Um, I remember sitting there, I think it was March, wasn't it, um, initially. Everyone sort of going, what are we going to do? Um, some of the franchisees that I had said, Josh, just turn your website off literally cut everything that took like completely wipe everything i said like, this will be over at some point i don't know when i'm like yeah this has never happened in my lifetime before and um, but at some point this is going to be over and the first wave came um and when i'll get everyone back into head office all the franchisees said guys i'm really disappointed some of you have acted in a particular negative way um and unfortunately i'm going to tear the contract up and you're free to go um so literally ended the, the franchise agreement so COVID has been awful and people have lost their lives and, and loved ones and so on. But actually for, for our business, it's been quite so good. Did, um, how did the market, estate agency market react to COVID? Was it, it just shut down or how did it initially? Yeah, the, the property market, we're quite lucky in, in our sector whereby the UK relies on the, the property market heavily to obviously um, to make it go. Um, so we were one of the first industries back. But during that kind of two or three months, yeah, all the offices shut down. Uh, there's some remote working going on, but very, very little. But as soon as um, the government uh, announced that the state agents go back to work, we were probably one of the first sectors to go back. What did you do in um, that? What did, personally, what did you do in that three months? 
Um, I was actually still recruiting, but I've got some other people in different sectors. So I was finding chefs. I was finding all different kind of random stuff just to keep me busy and entertained. I was obviously dealing with a lot of headache from the business side as well. So talking to suppliers, trying to remake deals and, and see if we can get some some uh, 50% discounts on our service providers and so on. And still running the franchisees and dealing with the disputes on a day-to-day basis. So I think actually COVID, during that COVID lockdown, I was probably busier than I've ever been literally seven till seven at my desk. I remember my wife saying, Josh, the world stopped and you're still working. Um, but it, it was just mental trying to put out fires. But you quickly realised, I'm work- I'm not doing that, I'm not driving here. Like, did, did that, when did it was, that? It's a hard, yeah, it was a hard one. So um, our, our lease come up, um, we've been there for four years. Lease came up uh, and I said to myself, I can't let it go. I cannot let that big office go. It's got my name plastered over it. I spent a lot of money um, getting it there, getting it to look good. We built a team there and I just can't let it go. So I actually ran the landlord and said, look, can I just take it for another six months? And I paid for another six months and I was the only person going there. <laughs> then I realised if I'm the only person going there, this is just ridiculous. So we, we came away from the office. So I probably saved myself 100 grand a year in regards to, um, to outgoings. And I've saved myself a lot of headache in early mornings and late nights, getting there and back. I mean, the cars that I've got, I've got through three cars in them four years just because I put too much too many miles on them. Um, wow. So that was a really good um, decision to make. It's a very hard decision to make because I think as a as an entrepreneur and leader, was, I aspire to have a massive office, massive team, um, and that was what was drilled into me. Um, actually, hindsight is you don't need any of that um, if you don't want it. And, and for me, that was a massive kind of tick in the box. I didn't need that big office. I've learned that, you know, Big, a big thing in the in the pandemic has been accepting reality rather than ego. So, like, yeah. I'm the same as you. Like, you bought, you start a business. We've always worked in offices, and you know, Hoxo. We had this big fucking neon sign on the wall, and it was it wasn't my name, but it, it is. I've got it tattooed on my wrist, right? I feel yeah. like in my middle name. And uh, letting the office go was was a. Do you know what? It wasn't. I didn't find it that difficult. I found. I enjoyed it. I was in my flat in East London. I was working from home and we were like, what we were like, we'll just shut the office. Get Because we, we, we had to give six months notice. So we'll give it now and then we'll find another one. Like it wasn't like we were married to that space like you, but I definitely didn't expect necessarily we'd go completely remote. And once, but what, but, but what I found was I was really enjoying being remote. So I was like, so I've got on one side, my personal reality is I like it. I like not seeing people every day. I like seeing people sporadically. I like I like the routine of being remote. But my ego says my business should have a, an office and I should be there on the, this fucking throne. And yeah. so I'm fighting the reality of, of who I am and what I like versus this predetermined what I think people should do. And I found that I still have days where I'm like, I should have the big Hoxo HQ and be there every day and move back to London and all this stuff. But like, but I prefer my life without it. So I'm like, which yeah. one's more important, ego and bollocks or day-to-day life? Isn't it? Do, do you can relate? I agree more. Yeah, and see, I speak to people. I've just joined the uh, recruitment network, and yeah. I think that is a common debate. We want to get rid of our office, but where do we go? We'd like to go into London three days a week, but there's not an option with a uh, with a service office with. Um, we work or spaces or whatever that's cost effective enough to do that and also it's very noisy i think yeah. people are now waking up to do we actually need an office i think our model being franchise and now licensed everyone's self-employed their own own their own limited company and um, they want to do their own thing so actually our model 
um, lends itself quite well to to remote world. But I think it's very hard for recruitment leaders, especially when they've got um, they buzz off of other people, and we're all human beings that love to be around other human beings. Um, and especially when we bang the phones and do deals, I think leaders find it very hard to say, if I'm not there and all together, how can I crack the whip and, and get the most out of these billion recruiters? Um, yeah. So it's a hard, it's a hard um, kind of pill to swallow. For sure. And some people genuinely love being around. I, I, I've worked out I don't. like. I have that many Zoom calls a day. I quite like no one asking me questions in between them, even though it's probably not, it might have a detrimental effect on people that they're not hearing me on the phone and, I know the, the the things we're missing out on. I get it, but if I'm going to be really selfish and look inside, I like having a routine where I do what I want and I see the office. You know, see the team every month or whatever. We're not a you know in London they see each other once a week, twice a week. I don't go to London. I'm going this week, but I don't go that often. So it's yeah. I think it's just about what works for you and and not. But so, so let's go back to the. When you said you ripped up the contracts in court, what do you mean by that? How do you go and you've got a license agreement? How do you rip it up? So, yeah, the franchise agreement. So, um, the franchise agreement has got different, obviously, um, clauses in it um, that allowed me to be able to pull and push. Um, and it had to benefit um, the franchisees and it had to benefit me. So, um, there's obviously a cost for, for me to say goodbye and there's a cost for them to say goodbye. So, we, we sort of just hammered it out individually and said, right, what works for you? What do you want to do? Uh, we ended up only just keeping one franchisee. Um, she was with me for eight years, literally from starting five years as a franchisee and the rest as an employee. Uh, and we kept kept her on because she wanted to stay. Um, but the others were quite honest and said, oh, Josh, I want to get out of recruitment. I want to go and set up my own business. Um, what can we do to make it work? And um, so it was about negotiating the best exit for, for us Did as a you business. Like your whole team you let go, basically. Yeah, literally ripped up the whole team. Um, so you went down to just you and one person? Yeah. Um, I actually hired, hired more people in, in lockdown and said, right, when we come out of this, I need an MD, I need this, I need that, and rebuilt the whole thing. Um, during, during How did that feel, though, going from you know a team of 13 and you'd had bigger teams, I think, in your 10 years. Yeah. You'd, grown, you'd grown a decent headcount. How did that feel to go down to just you and one other? Uh, it's a bit deflating because from an ego point of view, again, you're like, I've just spent years building this. I've spent thousands of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds in legal fees and, and everything else to get to where it is. But fundamentally, sure, it wasn't working. Um, and if I didn't do it then, I'd have to do it in two years, a year, five years' time. Um, so I, I pulled the trigger and actually, with everything being locked down and everything kind of at standstill, it was a great time to kind of rebuild um it was i think there's any good time to sort of say you know what well, guys see you later and re recarve your business one of up um but that was a perfect storm because it allowed me everything to stop for a moment so i could regroup um and, and think about the future so you know our sponsor vincere um but vincere have had a massive uh, brand refresh on their website they've gone for this like galaxy nasa space type vibe um, and if you go to vincere.io, you will notice their new website. It's got so much more information about the, the, the CRM, the all-in-one platform. Emra on today's show is also a Vincere yeah, user, talks really highly of the platform. And if you don't know, it's, it's evolved loads over the last year with the new website. They've got new modules such as video interviewing now, video messaging, automation, and their website and branding um, needed to reflect the new business that they are. Um, they've also um, got this CRM ATS core module that then plugs into everything else. So they've got this kind of product design map now you, that you can see 
not only where they are today, but where they're heading. It's, I mean, I don't think there's, there's, it's unrivaled right now in the CRM space in the recruitment market. So get over to Vincherry.io, have a look. If you're interested in working with them or taking on their platform, let them know you're a rag listener because you will get an exclusive discount. Did you feel a weight off your shoulders though when you did it, when you made those calls and you got out? Of yeah, it? I think at, at some point when, when we first sort of had the calls, it was kind of very lonely because you've sort of just gone, right, I've got all these people down to yourself. Then I've, there was a bit of a panic going, what have I done? Um, and then actually, if you think about it, you go, actually, this is right for the business going forward and right for me. Kind of just see a little bit of light and just run for that light. So, what, did you, um, what was your plan then? So you've gone from 13 franchises down to one. It's just you. Yeah, you still are you still recruiting? What are you even doing at that point? Are you still putting in a state yeah. in London or something? Like what? Are yeah, you doing? yeah, still still recruiting. Um, I'm still a billing manager as well, so I still run the business, but I still bill. Um, and everybody in our business now is a fee owner. I think that's really important. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm still billing. It was yeah lonely, like I said, but I had so many things I needed to get right. So it was remapping the whole of the UK, looking at this is what we want to to take forward. Um, going out and recruiting new people. How do you recruit new people when you just let all your team go? Um, so working out a structure that you can attract people after you just let loads of people go. So it was a whole kind of, um, I suppose, remodeling piece that took a lot of my time. Um, how, would you describe, how would you describe the model you designed then? Uh, model designed is very similar to the franchise model, but from all the learnings over the last four or five years I was doing it, um, I've taken the best bits and obviously dumped the bits that didn't work. So um, we've made the areas a lot more smaller. So 500 um, physical offices per patch. Um, we found better people and um, people actually match our profile um, that want to grow a business. Um, and we've learned what works in a model and what doesn't. So streamline everything back, um, the office, for example, changing CRM, loads of different things to make it a more agile business. So everyone can work from home with uh, a state-of-the-art um, phone system, cloud-based CRM, all the rest of it to, to make it all work a lot more accurately and a, and a lot more faster um, and again I think it's looking after your clients better and really adding value I think before it was a bit of a wash we've got loads of jobs actually if I looked at all the numbers we were only filling five percent of our jobs you know we might have had 800 jobs a month for example we're only filling five percent of them so again load of ego it was vanity over sanity and it's actually looking again actually I want to make sure my my people are earning money and, and obviously making the, the business money so Look at all them, them facets and, and really making it work. Lots of planning, late nights. So what, what, when you said you've gone from franchisee to licensee, what, tell us what, what's the difference? I've, I've got no idea. So the franchise um, model is um, where someone pays up front. They buy into yeah. your model. So in our instance, it was between 20 and 25,000. They pay a, a, a monthly fee. In our case, it was a thousand pounds. And we take a royalty on every single placement that they make. Um, whereas a license is, is not dissimilar, but there's no upfront fee. So that takes that whole 25K investment away. Um, it, we, we're 50-50, so we change our model to say, we are very much partners. You, you're your own business, but you've partnered with Rainer Personnel. We, we give you the brand, the systems, the toolkit, et cetera, to be really successful, but we've got 50% stake in your success. Therefore, if we don't add our 50% of value, you're gonna leave. And if you don't add 50% of value, we probably say goodbye. So we're, we're in it together to make it. And there's no. Do they get no salary though? No salary. No. Nope. Do, do they still pay a fee? Do they still pay you a monthly or not? 
pay and pay as monthly fee, and that really just covers the, the technology. So um, it's a low fee that covers SCRM, phone, job boards, LinkedIn, all that kind of stuff. Right. So the 50% then is not for all that. The 50% is for the value you add on top of that, is it? that you? Yes, correct. Yeah. So our 50% real value is um, we're their accountability partners. We go out and find the national clients. So we've got the brand in terms with, with most of the national clients. They get access to that straight away. And we've obviously got a database that's been going the last 16 years. So it's got a majority right. of everybody in the industry with all the units to get access to that. And um, the brand, the website, the events we go to, all that kind of jazz, it's all part of part and parcel of their, their 50%. Right. Okay. So how how has that evolved then? So you see, when, when did when did the first licensee come on board? So we had um, a couple just before the pandemic start. Um, to, to sort of trailblaze it and it was working really, really well. Obviously then um, COVID happened um, and then we come out and they were, they were then back to bidding again. But I'd probably say our first licensee probably joined just over 12 months ago. Um, these, the people we take on board, it's really hard to, to teach the property industry. So we normally take property people and teach them recruitment because we find that a lot easier. Um, so all of our people, we've now got 20 uh, recruiters in our business. Um, so more than the franchise network within a year, which I think is quite impressive. Um, and they're all property people that we've taught recruitment. They're all doing exceptionally well. We had our best ever um, quarter that we've ever had before during franchisees and before. Um, so it's obviously something's working. Obviously, the market's really strong at the moment. There shouldn't be any recruitment businesses that are find it tough and not making any money at the moment because it's like taking candy from a baby. Um, but we've got a really good quarter and, and people are earning some really good money. And they're really enjoying their job, which is what it's all about. And you are you expecting these all to build teams then, or can they just do what they want? If fifty percent, yeah, they can do. They can do yeah, so we, we're looking at how we can. Um, the first year, obviously, we're just building it to to get enough people on board. Um, we're looking at something in December to roll out for next year, which is you hit different caps and you get uh, a bigger percentage. So we tell that fifty to 60, 70, 80, but based on different thresholds. We're we're looking at that. Also, I'm looking at making everybody a shareholder in the business. Um, I think it's really important that everyone's got some skin in the game to make it successful. So when there is an exit in three, five years' time, where that may be, that everyone can also still run their business but have some equity within the overall group. Right. But if someone does say a lot, bit, I just want to build 200, 300 grand a year and don't want to manage it. No, I'm not interested in that. Yeah, that, and that, that gives you more flexibility, doesn't it? You're not fighting. You're allowing people to live their their life through through the business rather than everyone's got to fit the same... Absolutely. So you can have, you can be a lifestyle recruiter that wants to just build, like you said, 200 grand and mm -hmm. take 100 grand and be very, very happy. Um, or you can take on two or three people resource um, an admin person maybe underneath you uh, and build that side of business. But it's entirely up to them. Um, we don't have really long contracts. So before I said the franchise agreement was for five years, this is a rolling 90 day agreement. So 90 days, don't like it for whatever reason, give us 90 days notice uh, and off you go. So very, very liquid in regards to we don't want to put type people down. We think we are business model is very sticky and we can why, why do you not just do what others do and hire people, train them up and like classic recruitment model? What what's the benefit, do you think, of your model? Why are you I doing think, it? Different? I think especially now after COVID, people don't want um necessarily to be employed. They don't want to be tied to a desk, they don't want to be told what to do. They want that work-life balance. I think even now more so than, than ever. Um, and actually, I want entrepreneurial people that want to lead their own destiny. Um, I don't necessarily want people that are just going to, I'll be beating them with a stick all day. Come on, come on. That's, I want you to build 30 grand a month every single month. Actually, I want people to go, do you know what? My kids are really important to me. 
my mental health and exercise and whatever it may be really important to me. I want to work really hard, but it's not the be and end all. And I think actually you get a, a better mix of people um, rather than the same old people on the same old treadmill. Yeah, yeah. You get a different different mindset, totally different mindset. Got some great, got some great mums that, that are great recruiters. They've got some great empathy. Um, they can do the, sk- the, the, the kids' school runs. They can do the holidays, and they, they break it around that. Then they're exceptional recruiters. I would be able to get um, probably a mum that had to pick up the drop the kids off at nine and pick them up at three in central London doing a, an eight to eight job. It just wouldn't happen. And you just don't care about the detail of what time they work or any of that. You're not. There's none of that. Not in, interesting. No, in that. we obviously we've got obviously a pattern that we, we think works, but it's it's down to down to the individual to work it around their their lifestyle. And what, and what about from a, from a support and collaboration perspective? Sorry, I've got a dog in the background who's just decided to wake up. This is classic podcast 2022. Like years ago, it was in a fancy studio. Now it's at home with my dog. Um, Henry, stop it. That's brilliant. First time I've, I've shouted at Henry on the on the rag, by the way. Anyway, um, so do you what, – what, what, how do you support these people? Like what was my, my, my kind of fear – or I imagine a lot of recruitment owners fear with this model is it can become a bit a bit chaotic. Like everyone's doing whatever the fuck they want, whenever they want. And, you know, obviously there's there's less risk there because you're not paying them a salary anyway. You know, so you're not, if you have a bad month, it's not ideal, but it's not, you're not really feeling the outgoing pain. But how do you make sure there is some camaraderie and everyone understands the brand and the values? And yeah, of course. It doesn't That's feel like you've 20 like- different companies. Yeah, great. There's a massive reputational risk as, as well, right? That's one of the biggest things yeah. from a business owner. So uh, when we take people on, we put them through a uh, full induction so they understand our values, uh, what markets we operate in, what our terms are, why we're different to our competitors, what our USPs are, the whole shooting match. That takes a week for somebody to go through and understand the operational side of the business. So who to go to for support and um, what happens if your computer breaks and all that kind of jazz. So we literally get them um, set up. Everything from accounts as well. So when you do your first placement, how do we actually invoice and who collects the money and, and where does the money go and when do you get paid and all that kind of stuff. So we take everyone through a full induction, um, but it's constantly it's a it's like one of them stickers on the back of a on a bumper. It's it's um, the train is not for a week, it's for life, and we're constantly um, we meet up every fortnight um, east and west um, in the field, and um, so we get together, we have a breakfast, we have a lunch, we have a couple of beers, whatever it may be, um, every fortnight. And we meet once a month in London where we add value by having a big board meeting. We have meet the client events where clients come in and pitch their, their business to us. Um, we're constantly on a, on a weekly phone call, um, a Zoom call as well, making sure that everyone's happy. They're hitting um, their own personal uh, performance indicators. Um, and they sit down and we go, right, what do you want to earn? And then we work out where they are. And every quarterly we, we have meetings with them to say, look, are you on track? What can we do to help you get there? So there's that accountability partnership from us as well. So it might sound chaotic, but everyone's got a structured day. Um, it's all about time blocking our business, as you know. Um, so everyone's got their time, whether it's they go to a school drop-off at nine or they start at seven. It, it really depends on the individual. Um, but actually, everyone's consistently billing every single month at the moment, and they're hitting numbers they want and, and the we want. And actually, if they don't earn and do any deals, it does really affect us because I've still got might not have that swanky office anymore, but I've still got accounts, I've still got operations, I've still got an MD, still got me, I've still got websites, CRM, all that kind of stuff that is, is literally my P, my PG, if you like, on, on the business. So I need to make sure them, them basic costs are met. 
Makes sense. And you said East and West, so is that all of London? Is everyone is everyone around we, London? We, yeah, we, we cover sort of up to Manchester, probably as, a, as an absolute um, uh, north point, and we go all the way down to the coast and all the way up to the southwest. So um, we kind of meet in Colchester in the Essex side, or we meet um, around sort of Windsor uh, on the west side. So people come in if they want to. Everything's optional. So we can put on as many sort of events a, uh, a month, a year, etc., as anyone wants. It's all depending what what the individual wants yeah now we're like that now so we've got you know we've got the cape we've got the, the south african lot where we we flew out to cape town recently and met every, we flew them in from durban Joburg, and, and 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 the guys in cape town we met there and it was brilliant nice. and then in the uk obviously london's the hub but i mean i'm in sheffield aaron's in the, the lake district we've got billy's in leamington spa like the team is not all in london there's some people on the south coast so london's the obvious hub but it it's not like the old days, like everyone's got to think genuinely, can they make it? And if they can't, they can't. And then we've got a couple in Portugal as well. And then we've got one in Barbados. And unfortunately, she's not, unless she flies home to England when she doesn't get to any of it, any of it. But it, it just works, you know, it just works for us at this moment. And, and I think that's what's important. Um, So you then, you, you've grown 20 fran- uh, licensees. What, what's, Where's it going to go, like, and and what what does a day look like? Two questions. So, what's a day look like for you now? Yeah, what you actually doing in terms of your job, and then where does the business head? What what are you trying to achieve? Yeah, so for my job really is um, to be the face of the business. So I'm still going out with national clients, keeping national clients happy, um, but also I'm, I want to get back to being a recruiter. I love doing deals. I love helping people. Um, so I sort of hang around in the C-suite and the senior management um, sort of teams. So I'm still placing probably three, four people every single month. Uh, in sort of in any, across the whole of the UK or do you specifically? Yeah, across the UK in, in the property sector from sort of CEOs to CMOs, CTOs, that, that kind of MDs, that kind of level. Um, and I'm still doing three or four of them every single month without foul. Why is that important? If I put that head person in, guess who then gets the repeat business and the recruitment for everybody um, after we put that, that senior individual in. So it's really important that I keep doing that. Uh, and that kind of fuels the fire um, for everybody else to then, then make hay um, for other, other roles in the business. So that's probably 80% of my job is, is to still build. I love building, can't help it. Um, and the 20% is really to be the face, going to London, meet clients, schmooze them, make sure they're happy um, and support our MD Russell to make sure that he's got all the support that he needs and um, to be able to give out to our associates. What's the MD role and, and why do you need, why don't you do that? Um, so MD role, very good question. So I I knew that I've got, well, I know, and most people have got lots of weaknesses. My biggest weakness is I've got no patience. I'm yeah. really, really bad people manager. Um, so you can't manage self-employed people because one, you break IR35, but you need yeah. to lead them. Um, and I get really frustrated. I can show somebody once, twice, three times, and after that, I'm like, I don't know why you don't get it. And uh, it gets on more wicked a little bit. So I need somebody who's really caring that managed lots of people in the past, uh, and Russell and I have known each other for 15 odd years. One of my first ever clients, um, and he was a sort of a loggerhead of what he's going to do in his career. He worked for a company for 30 years, um, and I said, "Look, come and join me. This is what we're going to build." Um, it's gone from literally it's gone to the ashes. We need to rebuild this thing. You're the perfect man to do the job, and he's one of these guys where in the industry no one hates him. Um, and as you know, in recruitment, you either love or hate it because you either hate on somebody's staff or you provide the staff. Um, so he's one of these guys that everyone likes. He had a really big following, um, and he, he generally cares and wants to help people. And has given them the time 
and we're given the time and time again. And I know that I need someone to do that on a regular basis because I didn't have the time because I wanted to get off and, and start billing. So that's why I got a, a sort of yin and yang, really. I needed someone to, to help me lead, lead the charge. Did you ever struggle with that? Again, a bit like the, I think I'm, I wouldn't say I'm that dissimilar. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm an awful people manager. I've got a good, I only manage like a small part of Hoxo's team. And then I'm a, I'm as definitely more the people manager. I think I've got a good tight knit unit and I'm, I think I'm, I think I do a decent job at it, but I'm more of a lead by example guy than a sit down and manage. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, I, and I'm still the same. I'm still operationally selling and delivering the academy and I, I love it. Um, but I definitely went through an, an issue with my own ego again at the point where I stepped away from being the kind of, even though I'm CEO, I'm well, like co-CEOs really. Like, you know, I could have been, you know, I could have held on to it just because it's what I think I should be doing. Yeah. Um, did you ever go through that where you're like? Yeah, I think that, uh, and I still probably middle with stuff and Russell, I'll probably do Russell's head on a day-to-day basis because they the associates still reach out to me and I still reach out to them. Um, but you've got to realise you, you, you're not great at everything. And I thought back in the day, probably three or four years ago, I thought I was Superman. I could do everything. I could build, I could manage, I could do um, business, I could do finance, I could do everything else. And you realise very, very quickly that you can't do everything. And actually, scaling a business to where you need to get to, you need the right people on the journey with you. Um, so actually, Russell takes a lot of pressure off me. Um, I know that he's stronger there than I am. And I do the other stuff that he's not so good at. So it kind of works well. Yes, part of me goes, I need to meddle a little bit. And I'll still need to be the face of it. And I need to I need to make sure everyone's all right. Um, but it's just bringing up another bit of banter with these people rather than going, right, and then going for a proper kind of leadership role with them. It's more of a, a sort of a friendly relationship, which I much prefer as well. Yeah. I think if you're looking at recruiters, recruitment owners in general, they typically will be one of the two. They typically are either more outwardly yeah. facing and naturally client facing or they're more people driven and and uh, yeah i think if you can place your strengths in that role it's really important and if you if, you, if you're aware enough like me and you then you need to find so I, luckily my business partner was there and he's you know he's, he's better at me but if you haven't got that then you've got to go out and find someone um yeah, what so where are you heading so you're at 20 now which is rapid now, so we've yeah, so I've got big plans and obviously a plan made out. So we need to get to 25 heads um, in the property side, and I want to do exactly the same in our B2B um, side. And B2B is, is business to business sales, right? So we're putting in people in customer success and um, be business development managers, account managers, etc. Initially, in what sector? Uh, initially, in prop tech because it kind of talks to the property industry, but we're probably going to different verticals. And the idea is we have 25 in that. And then we need to go out and um, we need to go and probably buy a business. And I really need to get into temps. So I need to get 40% of our revenue into, into the temp um, side of business. And we haven't, we're just permanent moment. So that's something that was a massive focus for me. Yeah. So this year was about building building the heads to where we need to get to, which we would do easily with the property side. We need to get the B2B side to mirror that. And once we're there, then next year it allows us to Same do model like on the B2B side. Same model, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so then, I've just had a look. Go on. I've said they joined me um, 16 years in CRM and um, selling CRM into, into the property industry. Um, she made 26 grand or built 26 grand in the first month, never done recruitment in her life. Um, and obviously, she's taken half of that money, which she hasn't earned before in 16 yeah. years selling CRM. So it's very lucrative. Um, but you just got to get the right people that actually want to, to push on. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the temp agency, though, that won't, that's got to be more traditional, right? You can't have a lot of yeah. licensees recruiting temps. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The temp, the temp uh, we, we won't come to touch. We'll just rebadge it and, and build it in. But that would be a, an office with people with PAYE, um, and we run it like a traditional business. But if I can get that to 40% of my turnover, um, that's really what I need to do to get my EBIT number to where I need it to, to be to sell it. So that, that's the sort of journey we're going on. And by sort of joining these networks and speaking to you about branding and bits and pieces, that's really what I'm trying to get to is a, an ultimate sale, which I think any business owner wants to get to. It's just how quickly you can get there and get the right people around you to make you get there faster. So what... What does that sale look like for you? Where do, where do you go after that? Sure, it's a great question. I don't know. So I'm 35, 36 this year. And by okay. 40, I probably want to look at an event. Um, does that mean I, I disappear into the sunset? Probably not, because my wife spends a lot of money to make. Um, but I'll be probably doing something else in the industry. Um, I've just built a, a technology um, business, SaaS business in, in recruitment. So I'm quite keen to launch that next year. Um, so I'm sure that would take me in another direction in that technology space. But my, my core focus is rainy personnel, getting to a size where there's an event in, in sort of four or five years. Yeah, so we're the same age, right? And I I um I said that. I started Hoxo at 30 and I said I'll be out by 40. That was kind of my initial plan. Whereas I don't really think that way anymore. I don't know. I, I think because I'm a bit like you, like what would I do next? Like I'm... I'm not, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to retire. I'm not going to sit there all day. I'll just get fat and drink beer and I would become a fucking... And everyone I've listened to on the show that's told me about an exit, they've not... They've all been a bit underwhelmed by it. I think the people... Like Ed Stevens, uh, 94 Group, I interviewed the other week, incredible. And he he sold Eximius and he had a year out with his young daughter and his wife, but he sounded so calm because he knew what he was doing next. He already knew. So it wasn't like... I think the people that sell with no plan typically fucking get anxious and drink and and struggle spend all, your, spend all your money and then go try and go again and it's uh yeah probably a bit. but i think the people that go right well i already know while i'm selling what i'm what my next what the next horizon is or the second chapter or whatever you want to call it they're the ones that tend to enjoy the the exit um the most um so it sounds like you've got some ideas but you're not getting too carried yeah. away with it next. Got, got some ideas um and it's it's quite exciting i'll, I'll share with you share after this um but again, it's in its infancy as well. So it'd be good to get your thoughts on around that. But uh, four years, five years is a long time. I mean, if you asked me that five years ago, no one knows that we had a pandemic. So I think it needs to be a little bit agile. It needs to be a bit fluid. Things can change all the time. You can have a plan, but you just need to flex that plan, don't you, around um, what, what the life and the world um, throws at you at that time. But yeah, that's the idea. And then go into another business um, from there. Our second sponsor is always District 4. Um, District 4 have worked with me, um, I've been a partner to this show for a long time, and they are designing a business that effectively wants to give recruiters their time back and also allow them to start a business. So do you want to have more time? Do you want to build more money? Do you want to spend more time with family? Do you want longer weekends? Well, all of D4's members have found that. You know, they don't have meetings and commuting and all the unnecessary shite that a lot of recruitment businesses put their teams through, especially when they start and they think they have to keep all of the structure that they've had before. Sometimes for people like you and some, I mean, I'm a bit like that. I like to wake up and just know I can control my destiny on a given day. And District 4 allows you to do that. So if you're somebody who wants to start a recruitment business or has already started and is struggling to scale um, in the way that you want to, not the traditional way, 
then get in touch via www.justic4.io forward slash Hoxo. Check out what they can do. What I want to get onto now is this this interesting uh, chapter of your life. Special word chapter. Um, but you became a recently became an author, and you sent me a copy, a free copy of the book. It's called The Recruitment Roller Coaster: um, Avoiding the Tight Turns and Steep Slopes of Starting Your Own Recruitment Agency. Um, I noticed, obviously, you were promoting this. I wanted to get you on the show and talk about it. I didn't know you were going to send me a free. Well, you did send me a free copy to my old office in London, which is this is pandemic problems because I'm, I'm not even you know, that, that. We don't even have that space. Someone else has got a copy. Hope they're enjoying it. Um, I haven't read it yet. I will be reading it. But give us give us the, the backstory. Why the hell have you become an author? Like as if you're not busy enough. Yeah, um, dyslexic, not very academic at all. Um, I was being asked loads and loads of times, Josh, you started off in recruitment very, very young. You've had, you've had some great success, but you've had some massive failures. You should write a book time and time again. Yeah, yeah, one day I get around to it. It's a bucket list thing. Um, and when we come out of uh, the initial lockdown, I got Steve Guest um, to come in and do um, uh, some kind of workshops with our, our people. Yeah. And um, I was fascinated about his story. And him, he just obviously became an author. And I said, do you mind just hanging on? I just want to quiz you a little bit on your book. Um, how, did you, how did you start? What's the yeah. past? Where, where, how did you sort of go about being an author? Because I had no clue whatsoever. And he kind of inspired me really to say, look, Josh, if you want to do it, you need to just crack on and do it. So during that, that second lockdown, um, I think once or twice a week, five o'clock in the morning, I got on the phone to a ghostwriter in Vietnam, um, who's the same as Steve's. And we literally had an hour and a half just going through my story. Um, I always had to have some homework, which was I mean, me and homework don't really get on, never really got on when I was a kid, then I now. Um, and so it's quite um, challenging. It takes you a bit, it took me on a bit of a roller coaster in my life because actually you have to think back about what happened. Um, and you sort of some kind of a, you've got a bit of achievement, I think, at the end. We're going, actually, I've downloaded all that stuff onto somebody. They're now going to help me create it into a book. And really, I'm sure it's about trying to help people. My biggest why is trying to help people, whether that's find them a job or help a company find a great talent. And this really is just to help a budding entrepreneur set up a recruitment business or somebody that's recently sort of been in recruitment for the first sort of five years, navigate their way through um, recruitment. Because as people know, it is, a, it is a roller coaster. You have some really good times, but you have some real bad times. And it's about trying to equal them out as, as best you can to make sure you can ride the wave. Oh, yeah. I mean, this whole podcast is designed for the same reason, right? Um, it's to... When I was setting up Hoxo as in, in its initial form as a recruitment company, I, there was nothing like this in 2016. I didn't feel there was anything I could read or, you know, it felt very lonely. And, mm -hmm. and I wanted to make sure that the next generation of recruitment owners could listen to people like you and learn directly. Um, so it's nice that, you know, I've got no actual aspiration or plan to write a book. I never thought about writing a book. But I love the fact that you've done this and I'm going to read it and I'm excited to, to get what's in it. Now, do me a favor. Tell me, what is your lowest low? What has been the worst moment as a recruitment owner? Like, what's been the rock bottom, bottom of the roller coaster ride for you? Um, I think when I I sold uh, a recruitment business out to one of my uh, clients, they were eighty five percent of my turnover. Um, got a great relationship, and they turned around to me one day and said, "Josh, look, we're not going to use you anymore, but we want to offer you a job." And I kind of was pushed into a corner which is where do I sign because I've got no other choice really. Yeah. Uh, and I think I was probably a bit young and naive. I should have said thanks for no thanks for the time. Um, current um, girlfriend said, do it. Lots of pressure on me, just had a child. 
made that mistake uh, and starting again was a lot harder. And um, when when the when the kind of wheels are going, it's a lot easier to to keep pushing forward. But you've got to literally start from cold again. I found that quite the, the hardest. So ten years ago, I think when when I sat around a personal, that was a real hard thing to go again. That was a third time round as well. So you have to reinvent yourself again after after selling out twice before. It's a lot harder. Um, so I think that was one of my lowest when you have to kind of really dig in deep. There's really long hours, but literally there's only one way you can go, which is up. Um, and, and again, this book, all the, the proceeds are going to Mind, the mental health charity. This is not a book to make any money from. This is really to help people. Uh, sure you spend some money to create it, right? You'd spend some money to publish yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit of money to create. And for, for me, it's about giving back a little bit. The industry has been very kind to me over the yeah. years. So for, for me, it's about, right, how can I share that journey? But just giving people a book is great where they can learn. But if we can make some money for a charity as well, then it's a, it's a double win for me. So... I've done my tick in the box um, to try and give back a little bit as well, which I think is really important for me. Amazing. And why why did you pick that charity? Um, I think with um, a lot of blokes, I think in there's a lot of men within recruitment. Um, I actually personally think females make better recruiters, just putting that out there. Um, but there's a lot of men within recruiter uh, recruitment. And I think for, for me, the last couple of years with, with COVID and stuff haven't been kind to, to anybody. Um, and my bit was, well, how can I try and, raise the mental health awareness as well as write a book to help people so that was the kind of mentality around it yeah this big topic i mean my i posted about my brother last week and he's his journey because he went from being a recruitment owner wasn't happy sold his shares then started a marketing agency scaled that wasn't happy closed it all down had some serious burnout and anxiety issues for a long time mm -hmm. and then now he's turned his life around and he's 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 focused on helping recruiters, or anyone, but he is, he's, he's, he's going to work with a lot of recruiters um, to avoid burnout and and, and talk and, and yeah. you know, be more mindful and enjoy the moment. And that's what I'm trying to do with my business is just not get too wrapped up in the future. Like the growth is great and the exit plans and all, it's all exciting. But if you don't enjoy it now, what's the fucking point? Like if you yeah. sacrifice the next five years for an exit and you hate every minute of it, like there's literally yeah. no point. So it's like it's trying to be focused on the now because it will lead to to good stuff. Um, so the proceeds go to the charity. How can people get this book? What's the best way of? So it? the uh, the book is on Amazon. Um, we got to number one bestseller when we launched, which was Amazing. great. Um, so you get it on Amazon, um, and also it's on Audible as well. So you can download the Audible version. Is that your uh, voice? On audible, it's not my voice because I mumble quite a bit because I've got big fake veneers in my in my in my head. Um, uh, I don't think I'm that, I don't know, great at reading particularly. So um, we've hired an actor. Um, but look, I think it's a good read. Um, it's very honest. So everything in there is, is factual. Um, it, it literally gives you the highs and the lows and all the pitfalls. There's, a, there's learnings after each chapter. So I've made it quite easy. Um, I hate reading. So if I can read it, anybody can read it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hopefully um, people who enjoy it who are listening. Fair. Well, look. We'll, uh, we'll put a link to the Amazon on this episode as well so that people can click straight through and get it, which is great. And I'll be reading it. I'll be sharing about it. I'll tell you what I think. I'll be very honest. But I, uh, I'm i excited, mate. I think it's I'm, you should be proud of yourself. It's a really... Thanks, I appreciate your uh, support. It's a difficult thing to 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 be so vulnerable and so honest. You know, I, I, I've, I've learned over the last few years that being more open with how I feel about like my divorce and all the different things I've gone through, they've it's only benefited me than, than holding it. And holding it together, that should, that should do it, doesn't it? And even my my close friends and my family said, "Josh, you're giving away all your secrets to your competitors." 
and other people that can just copy your model. I'm like, so what? Yeah. From, from my point of view, it's I've done it and I'm there and I'm 10 years advanced. If someone can catch me up, let them catch me up. But from my point of view, it's about how can I help people? When, yeah, you have to give away some secrets. Who cares? I think 99% of people, will, you could give them all your business model and they won't do anything with it anyway. Like, lead a horse to water, but you can't yeah, make them drink it. Yeah, exactly. Like you, there'll be the odd one who might have a crack and good on them. And I, I do this. I give so much of my information from my personal brand academy, which is a structured eight-week program where I take people on a journey of looking at LinkedIn and going, right, how do I build a brand on here? And I break it down week by week and they come out of it with all the education and they, they you know things move. I probably give away... 90% of the information in different ways on LinkedIn for free all the time anyway. It's just, yeah. you know, I put it in a structured way and it's, you know, if someone works for you, it's going to be a lot more, you're going to benefit them a lot more than reading the book, but you're going to give away a lot of the same stuff in a different way. So, yeah, you know, I'm all about giving out value and, and it's good karma as well. Um, let's get, talking about mental health then, and, you know, we've got a couple of minutes left. What, that drive, like I could physically see on your face when you came in 2019, it was, it was more of a, you know, it was a necessary evil that you were doing it. You weren't, yeah. you weren't talking about it. So how has your life evolved now that you don't have that office? You know, what, I imagine you still go to Bishop Stortford because you've got a child over there and family over there, but yeah, what's really your life like now? Yeah, it's, it's much better. Um, and I think when you saw me, I was probably a bit grey. I've never, um, thank the Lord, never suffered from mental health. I had some ups and downs, but I've never really suffered, suffered I wouldn't say, from mental health, but I was burnt out. And when you're doing four hours in the car every single day, uh, and also I was doing that probably on a weekend as well because I took my daughter back on a Friday and then took her back on a Saturday. So I was doing it pretty much six days a week most yeah. of the time. So um, I was grey, I was still overweight, but I was a lot more overweight because when you stop at a petrol station, it's easy to buy a Mars bar. So from a health perspective, it was just not good. Um, and now I can wake up, I've got more time with my kids so my relationship with my wife's are much better. Um, my relationship with my kids are much better. Um, and actually, I was probably a statistic waiting to happen. If, I was probably going to have an accident on, on the motorway at some point. Um, so from my point of view, hopefully um, cut that statistic down a lot. Um, but I just feel I've got more life back, more energy back, I'm not as drained as much, um, just much happier in a better place. So do you, live, office, do you work at home or do you have an office near your house now that you get out? I work at home, I've got study in my house. Um, so my, my kind of routine is get up in the morning, shower, see the kids, have some breakfast, jump in here. Um, and then I either pick them up from school or finish at five, six o'clock, spend some time with them, put them to bed, etc. So I, I get more time with my kids, which I think is really important. They're only, only young for so yeah. long. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just a better overall um, working relationship. There's days, don't get me wrong, where I've got a lock on my study door. They're screaming their heads off outside. I try to have a Zoom call. It's not all um, glorious, wow. glorious all of the time, um, but it is nice to be around if, if, if there is an emergency at school or wherever it is, I'm only sort of five minutes away rather than two hours away, which yeah. has been an issue in the past. Well, I've got, I've took an office recently because obviously I moved in with with my partner and her kids in late last year. So four o'clock is the time that you typically get home and I'm still working till six. And I do find that, you know, it's been a challenge on certain days. So I, I typically go to the office in the afternoons for a couple of, only for like three, four hours, like, or maybe six hours. Not every day, like today I won't, but most days, Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I'll typically be out of the off in the office for a few hours in the afternoon. Yeah. So the main reason is they can get home and be themselves and shout and scream and not feel like I'm having to be like quiet because I'm on these big Zoom calls and I'm presenting stuff. But also when I get home and I'm still not home late, you know, I'll be home at half six. It's 
I can walk it in 20 minutes or drive it in five. So it's like round the corner, really. And I, I come home and I feel that I can close that chapter a bit. And whereas when I was here, it was like, oh, you know, the last two hours of every day was getting interrupted a bit. So um, mine's a hybrid of that. I'm always in home in the morning. I love it. And then I, I kind of love getting out as well, walking to an office and just having a bit of space. So it's, will I have it forever? I don't know. We'll see. I think if I, once we're going to buy a house next year, we'll get a bigger place. Might have a, I would like to have one of them garden houses, garden offices. Yeah, exactly what I'm doing here, just converting yeah. the garage upstairs. That's yeah. my own space. And I think, it's, I think it's right for the kids and I think it's improved their lives and improved the wife's life because I'm sure that she keeps the kids away from the office at particular mm. times when she can hear them on the phone. So I think that everyone's got to be happy and everyone's happiness deserves that everyone deserves to be happy in it yeah exactly what about the your own health and well-being then in terms of you're not on the road as much you're not eating ginsters pasties at the petrol station <laughs> I get wrong. i'm not that i'm not that fat um but i uh I, 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 nothing worse than a petrol station the, the i need i need to sort that's <laughs> terrible i do need to sort myself out so in regards to going out and getting fresh air and walks and stuff i'm terrible so really? I might go in the garden for a cigarette. I think that's as much as my healthy walking goes. Um, really? But I do, need to get, I do need to get out more. Um, and yeah, that's one thing I need to work on. But I'm just tied to my desk. I'm very much, I'm working, I'm working. Um, but I do need to make some, there's no better time when you're working from home to go out and nip out for a walk or a run or a cycle or whatever it may be. You need to get a dog. Yeah, I need to get a dog. I did buy one in Pelotons that lasted about four months before we sold it. So I um, didn't really use it at all. It just become a close, close horse. Um, yeah. rather than actual bike so i need to i need to look at that but you can't live all right so that's a that's a goal that i need to need to achieve well i'm doing a running everyday challenge that you can join whenever you want so I've, every month i start a group of for free on whatsapp and of recruiters that join me and i do a running everyday challenge so i've run nearly every day this year i think eight nine days i've not ran i only go like 20 minutes and i don't even go fast but getting on getting in the routine of running for 20 minutes in the morning Game changer, mate. You should join us in join the June, the June group. We just started. Set me it. up. Set me up on there. Yeah, you got to get your you got your arse in gear. No more fags in the garden. Get out running. <laughs> um, Josh, thank you so much. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank if, you. Really appreciate your time. If anyone's listening and wants to pick your brains on your model, your ideas, or work for you, whatever, LinkedIn the best place to get you. Yeah, great. But last time we did the the rag, we had probably about ten people reach out. Really lovely people. Um, and look, I, I like giving back, so it, it, it helps me give back as well. So if I can help anybody at all, LinkedIn message, Josh Rayner, um, I'll come straight back to you and we can um, we can see if we can help. Legend. Well, look, part three, we'll get you back on in the future. I wish you the best of luck in everything that you do. And uh, yeah, I hope people do reach out. We'll catch up with you very, very soon, okay? Sean, sure. thank you so much. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2000 recruiters right now both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level, individual recruiters in your businesses, how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use 
the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. Tune in again next week. That's live on LinkedIn. I'll see you soon.